my sermon today, and so I kind of had an open topic, which is nice. Um, I think it's a lot easier for me because I can just speak on what is God doing in my life right now. And I understand series, and they're beautiful, but when there's, there's no limitations on what to speak on, I can just speak from the heart of where I'm at, where, what God is doing, what he's teaching me, what he's teaching those that are around me. And so uh, today I'm going to talk about how we worship a personal God, not a conceptual God. And we're going to go into this, but I, I felt um, the need to take some time to, to encourage some specific people this morning. And um, I was reminded of, I did a ministry school at, down in Redding, California called Bethel. And before our school would start, they had a schedule of, of the entire year of what it was gonna, what the speakers were going to be, what times they were coming, the dates, everything. So typically you're going to have the, the Bethel speakers, Chris and Bill, and you, have, you would have them every week. But then usually once a month, you would, we, as you would look through the year, there would be these special guest speakers that they would come and they would come and speak to us. And so, of course, on those days, everybody gets super excited because lots of people have no idea who they are or they know who they are. And they're excited that they're coming to speak to us. And so we have great teachers and prophets and evangelists and all the whole gamut of the gifts of the church. And... I couldn't help but notice that on the days where there was, especially if there was a prophet that was coming, I use that term loosely, um, and sometimes they're legit, sometimes it wasn't legit, but the, there was something about, you know, there's a prophet coming to school, and there would be a lineup before school started for, like, people would line up hours before the service started, hours before school started, because they wanted to be one of the first ones in because they wanted to be at the front of the row so that they would be more noticeable. And I even knew people who would wear like bright fluorescent pink shirts or something that would make them stand out from the crowd so that maybe this prophet can come and he can give me a word. If I stand at the front, he's gonna see me. If I have a front, he's not gonna see me if I'm back there in what we would call the third heaven where it's just like, it's just out there. Like, and we were in an auditorium and so it was in three levels. We called them first, second, third heaven. Third heaven was, that's where I just hung out because it was more, all the chill people were back there, if you're honest. <laughs> Anyways, but then, yeah, and then there's the guys that don't care about school and they're just playing their games the whole time. But I wasn't one of those people. I just, I was just chilling back there. Um, but you, they wanted to be seen by this person because there's a part of us that is so innately wants a personal God, a personal word. God, if only you could just speak to me through this person. God, I'm desperate to hear your voice, and I haven't been hearing it lately, and I feel distant from you, and I have you as this concept in my mind, so I'm going to put on my pink shirt, and I'm going to sit in the front row, and I'm going to pray that this person calls me out. <coughs> and we oftentimes forget that God is so personal to us. That he's always speaking, that there's a still, small voice that wants to tell you how he feels about you every single moment of your life. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to detract from the prophetic movement and giving words. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that we're in this together and sometimes God uses us as conduits to actually share his voice and how he feels with the people that are around us, the people in our community and I'm not, I wasn't bashing that. I was just saying that there was, I noticed that there's a hunger for a personal experience with God. 
And so this morning, I want to I want to just give a few words to people. And if you're unfamiliar with this, you can call them prophetic words. You can call them encouraging words. The the goal is always to edify and uplift and encourage. It is never to tear down. It is never to say, "Oh, I see all of the dirty secrets of your life, and God is mad with you." No, no, no. It is saying, "Hey." This is how God sees you. And so this morning, I want to take some time, and, and general messages are great, and we hear them all the time, but there's something about when you're called out in a crowd. There's something about when, and the most personal, beautiful experiences that I've had, a lot of them have been when I've been called out in a crowd, or when someone, I'm on the way to the bathroom, and someone stops me and says, hey, I think God wants me to tell this about you, and it's one of the most accurate things about my life I've ever heard, and I've never even met this person before. And so this morning, I'm going to take just a, just a little bit of time to, to do some of those. So first, uh, uh, Shekinah and Nathan, um, we've already prayed for you. I love both of you so much. And I feel as though this time of your life has been a bit tumultuous. Um, and I, I get the image of, you know, if you have a, a vase and it it's, has dirt in the bottom of it and you begin to pour water in, the dirt begins to just get stirred up and stirred up and, the, and the, the water gets murky. But the more water that you pour in, the clearer and the clearer it gets because it begins to replace the dark water. And so I feel as though this season of your life has been this, you've been pouring in the clean water. And so there's been a tumultuous, not, not just because you're moving, obviously that's an, that's an obvious thing, but even ideologically, theologically, friendship, community, how do I navigate situations, all of these different aspects of your life, they f have felt very tumultuous. And sometimes you're asking yourself, God, is this even like the right direction? God, uh, like I need, a little bit of I, need a, I need a little bit more clarity to step out in this leap of faith. And you were waiting and you were waiting for that little bit of clarity, but it never really came, so you just decided to step out anyways, and you're here. And I really feel like, is this like making sense? Okay. Um, and I, I really felt like God wants you to know that the water you're pouring in is pure. That there are those that might be around you that might say, hey, you need to be careful. Hey, let's not go down that path. Hey, let's dial it back a little bit. But I feel like God wants you to know that the steps that you are taking are God-ordained, that he is going before you, he is coming behind you, he is on each side of you, he is above you, beneath you. He is, you live and you move in him. And so as you go into this next step of your adventure, be ready to just keep on pouring the water in. And the dirt's not all gone yet, and that's okay. That's part of the process. That's the pruning. And it's like you are vines, and God is pruning things. And it's so that you can grow further than you've ever grown, grown before. And we're excited as a church family to see you grow, to see you move, to see you transform the lives of the people that are around you as you are being transformed, to push the pace. I believe that both of you as a couple are um, trailblazers, where you're going, you're going, you're, sometimes you've got to get the machete and you've got to just start whacking at the bushes because no one's been there before. No one's going to that place. Um, there's no easy path for you to just follow, but there's, there's beautiful treasures and hidden waterfalls and hidden gems. And I, even when I said waterfall, I just saw both of you underneath a waterfall of God's love. And there's no dirt left. There's, and so I, I actually do feel like there's going to be a time where it's like, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, we made it. 
because you've been searching for that piece of a, of a we've made it for a, quite a long time. And it's always, there's this, this, I, this question at the back of your mind of like, is there, is it, are we ever going to make it? Are, am I ever going to have 100% peace? And I, want, I feel like God says, underneath the waterfalls of my love is where the peace is going to come. And I just want to preface again, if something doesn't make sense to you, I am not claiming that I am 100% getting these words right. I am just a, a, a flawed human being who's trying to hear God's voice for other people. And sometimes I get it wrong, sometimes I get it right. Um, and so take the good, leave the bad. That's what maturity and spirituality in our faith looks like. Um, what time is it here? That clock is dead? Okay, it's 11. <laughs> Uh, over here, far right, was it Luke? Was that your name? Yeah, we met, we met a few weeks ago, Luke. Um, this light is very bright on this side. Sorry. Can I actually, I'm going to come down here. Um, Luke, I, I just really felt like, and we, we had a, a brief discussion a few weeks ago, but there's been obviously a lot of transition in your life as well as you've moved to Calgary. Um, I feel like God wants you to know that the depths of who you are is going to be seen by many. And I feel like there's often times where, like, you've had, like, this wrestle, like, this Jacob struggle with God, and you've wrestled with him, and, and on the other side, there's going to be an Israel moment for you where you are going to be called, like, um, almost like a beacon. And I see just, like, even as I'm saying that, like, a picture of, like, a lighthouse on a hill. Like, you are a lighthouse for the ships and for the people, A, for the ships to come, and they know that there is land there. They know that there's the thing that they've been desiring. And so the way that your mind works, I feel like is very articulated. It's very in-depth, and there's complexities, and there's beautiful things. And sometimes you're like, I don't even know, like, I don't know how to even just straighten it out to, like, figure out the straight line of where to go. But I feel like God wants you to know there's a grace for the way that you think, and he created you to be that way. And so as you begin to, in the struggle, in the wrestle, there's going to be a beautiful alignment where you're going to bring, and I feel like God is also like the, your heart posture of wanting more community, deeper community. As you've moved, it's a natural thing to want, and he's going to bring those people around you as he's already started to bring um, into your life. And your influence, I don't think you're, you understand how much your influence is going to carry. And I don't say those things lightly because oftentimes we can hear, you're going you know, to influence thousands of people, millions of people, and we hear that from the stage all the time. But I really feel like um, whether that's one person or a thousand, your influence is going to radically change someone's life. Um, and it doesn't, like, we're not basing it on numbers. That could be one person where you invest all of your time and love into because I feel like you're, you're that kind of a person where it's like, you don't want to be in a large group and give like, here's like, here's 13% of love, here's 12% of love, but it's like, no, like, there's the one in front of you, here's 100% of the love that I have to give you. And that's what that person needs, and that's what, that's where the personal experience comes from, is here's, here's, I've experienced a personal God, so here, let me show you this personal God that you can experience as well. And I'm not going to dabble these generalities around, but I'm going to be really specific with you. So, I don't know if that made any sense, but I just wanted to bless you with that, man. <laughs> Okay. Maybe we'll do more later. Who knows? So, we worship a personal God, not a conceptual God. And right when I ask God, God, what do you want me to share this morning? It's open. We can go wherever we want. 
I was reminded of um, something I actually posted on my Facebook five or six years ago, and it's weird how this sometimes happens. You know, and sometimes you'll look on your memories on Facebook, and you'll see something that you posted way back, and it's like, oh, this is for me today, right now as well. Um, and so this is something that I posted. I'm going to share it with you, and I feel like this summates kind of where I want us to go as a church this morning. But it says, my prayer today, God, I pray that you never become just a concept. May you never be a collection of attributes that I simply feel satisfied in describing with my primitive language. May you not be of my head, but of my heart. May I not search out another way to describe you with my words, but let me experience you so I can be an expression that cannot be fathomed. Superceive what I perceive me to be and reveal who I truly am through you. Let me be pure holistically, like a vine cleansed by pruning and so fitted to bear fruit. So prune me, move me, mold me, refine me, transform me. Every morning, let me lay down the pieces of my life on the altar of your love and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. This is my prayer, that the more I seek you, the more I would find you. And I think oftentimes we pray things because we don't, we're not there yet. God, this is my prayer today, but recently you've been just a concept. And I feel as though maybe if I expand my vocabulary and the language and I read more books and I read more verses in the Bible and I can explain you better, then I'm going to feel closer to you. If I can expand this concept of what you're like, then I'm going to feel like you're close to me and that you love me more. Let me fill my head, but not my heart. And even as I read that, it, the last sentence really caught me. God, every morning, let me lay down the pieces of my life on the altar of your love and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. When was the last time that I actually laid my life down and said, God, I have no idea what I'm doing in this area of my life. God, I'm actually, I'm broken here. I'm hurting. I'm lacking. When was the last time I say, God, I'm going to put this on the altar. And it's one thing to put it on the altar, but it's another thing to wait for his fire to fall on it. Because sometimes we want instantaneous experience. We want instantaneous joy. We want instantaneous breakthrough in the things that we're dealing with. And so sometimes when we get to the place where you're like, you know what, God, I'm putting this on the altar of your love. And then we, we want the fire instantly. We want the presence instantly. But there's an image of God. I'm going to lay it all on the altar and I'm going to just set up, a, I'm gonna set up camp here. I've got my tent, I've got my food and my drinks, and I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait for your fire to fall. Because I can't actually move forward until that happens. And in pre-service prayer, I, I heard the name of a, an early church father for whatever reason. His name is Gregory of Nyssa. 
and I just decided I'm gonna look up the hashtag Gregory of Nice on Instagram and I'm, and I'm gonna just scroll. Sometimes this is how God speaks to me. And this quote, I came across this, this quote and it says, this is from Gregory of Nice. He says, concepts create idols. Only wonder comprehends anything. People kill one another over idols. Wonder makes us fall to our knees. We ask the question of why is the church so divided? Why do we look at our brothers and sisters and loathe them and hate them because of their political, theological, ideological views because we separate us versus them all of the time? And I think at the root of that is that we have created an idol out of a concept of God. God, I believe that you're this way. I filled my mind with this is what you're like. And this person over here, they've created a concept and they've filled their mind of what you're like. And my concept looks different than that concept. My idol looks different than your idol. So I'm having none of you. I'm refusing your love. So how do we remedy this? And we remedy this from the wonder of God. God's wonder comprehends anything, and it, it, wonder just makes us fall to our knees. And a lot of us in here, we've had those experiences with God where all we can do is fall to our knees. Where every concept, everything that we feel like, you know, we've ingrained into our minds, this is, this is you. This is what love feels like. And I've shared from this stage before when I felt I had a dream and I felt this deep love that I've never felt as deep before or after since, but I had a concept of what love was in my mind. I had an idol almost of what love felt like. Surely this is what love is because this is all I've experienced. And in that moment, the concept of that love was shattered. And all I could do was fall on my knees in wonder of the goodness of God. Because he is a personal God. Because he is speaking to us right now in this moment. And if you need to tune me out, tune me out right now. If God is speaking to you, stop listening to me and listen to him. My goal is to just lead us there anyways. So what does it look like if, if, if God is personal? If Jesus is personal, if the Holy Spirit is personal... I think everything changes. And the, the moments in my life where I felt the most, the closest to God are the personal moments. There's never been a conceptual moment where I've been like, oh yeah, that is, that's the, that's the closeness of God I've been looking for. It's always in the oftentimes unforeseen, unexpected. I'm just coming to another church service on Sunday morning. I'm driving. I wake up in the morning, and there's this, this moment where it's like, hey, do you want to just take some time and listen right now? Hey, Cody, there's actually a fire in the air, and it's ready to fall on the altar of, my, of the sacrifice that you give me. Are you, are you willing to put it down right now? And so many times I don't. 
So many times I just continue on with my day and there's, you know, there's an inkling, there's this, this whisper, it's calling me to something deeper, but I'm so caught up in the routine of my life that I just keep on living it. Oh God, you know, I'll go, I'll do something later for you. I'll spend some time with you later. And oftentimes when the later parts come, it feels as if that fire has distinguished itself. And I don't know why, but in my own life, that's how I felt. And so here we are and we just feel like, God, where are you so much in our lives? You, Cody, you're on this stage and you're talking about a personal God, but I've never actually experienced that before. I've, I've attended church for 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but I've never, heard, I've never experienced a personal God before. And I've heard everything from this stage and I've heard everything from the worship and from the conversations that I've had with my friends and my family. But I haven't actually heard his voice. And we look off into the cosmos, into creation, and we say, God, where are you? I'm willing. I'm listening. I'm ready. I'm waiting. Where... I'm hurting, I'm broken. My friends and family, they're hurting and broken. God, where are you? Where is this personal God that I'm hearing about? And we look up to the sky and we're like, God, we look to the stars or the clouds and we say, you're up, are you just up there somewhere sitting on a cloud? And I think even with our language and even in the biblical metaphorical language, we've created this divisive thing where God is somewhere out there. He's not right here. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Isaiah 40 verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And so here we have to understand that the biblical authors, they're trying to explain a God that they have no explanation for. They look at the sky and they see something that's unfathomable, so obviously they're going to use language that they have to say, God, you're up there in the sky. God, you're going to come down in the clouds. But I think this language, and it's, it's beautiful and it's metaphorical, but we've almost translated it into a literal sense when it was never meant to be that way. God is not on a cloud somewhere in space, distant from you. Hell is not underneath the crust of the earth, as we often believed when we were kids, or at least I did. Like, he's, he's somewhere with the, the lava underneath the crust of the earth, and God is, you know, if we explore, I remember I had a conversation with my mom as a kid, like, if we explore enough of space, are we going to find heaven? And it's just, we're so far removed from the reality and we're thinking in the dimensions that we live in of width, height, and time that we project our dimensions onto a dimensionless God. And when we pray sometimes, you know, even cinematically in movies, when someone's praying out to God, they're looking in the sky. God, where are you? And these might seem like useless details that I'm sharing with you, but I think that the, the constant imagery and words that we're using have actually influenced how we view God. If, he's always, if we're always looking up, God, where are you? 
it must mean he's out there. He's not here. He's all around us. He's, in, he's behind us, in front of us, to the sides of us, beneath us, above us. Psalm 139, 7-12, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. What beautiful words we have in the Psalms where I can only just imagine the writer is saying he had a personal experience with God. And he's saying, it doesn't, this, what I'm feeling right now in this moment, it doesn't matter where I go, it's not leaving me. I can make my bed in Sheol, I can go to the highest heavens, I can go to the limits of my vocabulary, I can go to the far reaches of the concepts that I've created for what the world looks like, and you're going to be there. And you're going to be present and moving. And then we have Acts 17, 27 to 28. Here we have Paul. He's talking to the Romans. He's giving a, a sermon. And here he's actually quoting from something called the phenomena of the Stoic poet Eratos. So oftentimes we don't know the context, but he's literally quoting a pagan poet in his sermon to pagans. He's using the language that they would understand in order to, to explain what God is like, to show. And he says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. So in him we live and we move and we have our being. In every moment of life that you live is in him. Every movement, every step, every hand raise, every nod of your head, it's in God. He is close. Every part of your being, and being is a concept which is encompassing the objective and subjective features of reality and existence itself. Your very reality is in God. And for me, even when I'm saying that, I'm like, how do I think about this? How can I put words to this? And I think there's something about it that is beyond words. Like how? All I can say is that that's as close as I can imagine. You actually cannot get closer to where God is. He is the personal God. He's not looking down on you from some cloud, from some other universe. But he's here and he's waiting. And sometimes I ask the question, why did Jesus come when he did? You know, why did you come 2,000 years ago when there's no technology, 
There's no, there's no a lot of things. There's no video, there's no pictures, there's no cameras, there's no technology. Because I feel like if Jesus, you know, if he just waited a bit, waited for at least film cameras, which is, you know, 30s, 20s, 30s, I don't know. At, at least, you know, and someone could have just snapped a photo. Just one photo is all I'm asking. But I asked, like, and that's a legitimate, like, why not? Because I feel like oftentimes when we see a video or a photo of someone, it really humanizes them. You get, you, you, especially videos, you see their mannerisms, how they talk. You know, you see the twinkle in their eye. You see, you see more than if you were just to read a book by someone. It's something like, oh, this is, and oft, I mean, oftentimes we're surprised where, you know, you hear the voice of someone in a podcast and in your mind you are recreating what they look like and then you realize that it's nothing what you expected. There's something humanizing about a video or a photo of someone. But if God wanted us to have foolproof evidence of himself, rational proof, perfect clarity, he wouldn't have been, become incarnated when he did. If he wanted us to be like, oh, 100%, and we have video of Jesus grabbing paralyzed people by the hands and pulling them up, of him turning water into wine, you know, how viral would these videos go? But he, he came when this wasn't a thing because there is something about, hey, you don't need to know 100%. Then it's not even faith. And then when I wrote this down, I felt like God said, hey, Cody, you don't need a video to have faith and for me to be personal. And in that moment, I, I heard God say, close your eyes and listen to my voice. Close your eyes and look into my face. Because that's better than any video camera or photo is ever going to give you. Because I'm the personal God. And before service started again, I, I heard this word. I can't even find it on my notes now. Shema or Hama, and it was so clear to me. And I knew it was Hebrew for whatever reason. I don't know Hebrew, by the way. And it meant to look at or to gaze. And I've had God speak to me in that way in the past sometimes, but it's been quite a while, but... I think God was just, he was telling me, hey, this is what we're doing this morning. We're going to look at me. We're going to gaze at me. We're going to experience me. And then there are those of you in this room where, you know, God feels so distant and you're like, I can't even look at his face. I can't even look into his eyes. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing. God would look at me with disgust. Because I look at myself with disgust. My sin is too great. He's not going to want it one second with me. 
I've missed the mark time and time again, and I'm separated because of it. And we hear this in church, that our sin is separating us from God. And I would like, I would like to push back on that concept a little bit this morning. I know that may be controversial. But the main, the main verse and chapters that we get this idea is in Isaiah 59. Of, of us being separated from God because of our sin. And so it's in verse 1, it kind of starts with this promise. And it says, Behold the, Lord's, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. And so this, right here, this is, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so you may say, Cody, it says pretty clearly right here that our sin is separating us from God. But as we continue to read in this chapter in Isaiah, we begin to see this story unfold. And it's a story about God's covenant promise with his people. And it's, it's we, we read chapter after chapter, and it's not that Jesus is blessing and his face has been turned away from them, but it's because of they've turned away from God to slave, to idolatry and to violence and to injustice, and they've turned their face away from God. He didn't just cut them off and disown them because they made a mistake, but they've actually done it to themselves. And then he begins to prophesy about the coming Messiah of Jesus, and this is written well before Jesus comes to the, to the table, and he says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. So he's saying here, you know, you feel as though your iniquities and your sin have turned, they've turned away from me and have turned my face away from you, but... It's your own injustice. It's your own idolatry. You're turning away from me, and I'm calling for you. And I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send someone who's going to tear the veil. And then this is the final verses in this chapter, verse 21. And he says, it's almost as if he's rededicating. This is who I am. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. God's Spirit is upon you, and the words God has put into your mouth shall not depart. And that's actually a promise. He's saying, hey, I've spoken these things over your life, over your children's life, over your parents' life, and they're not going to depart from you. I'm not going to turn my face from you. This... A scholar says that the truth of God would be the subject of perpetual meditation and conversation. This thing that will never leave our mouths. We will never stop talking and meditating on the goodness of God. And I know there are those, you may ask, well, what about Jesus saying, he's hanging on the cross and, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And first off, I don't believe that Jesus sinned, so I don't think that was the product of him being in that state but again we actually have this beautiful moment of God of Jesus in his humanness saying God I, f I feel like you've turned your face away from me right now 
And there's two sides of it. There's obviously the side of the very human emotion of Jesus, but then there's the side of Psalm 22. And if you're unfamiliar, the beginning of Psalm 22 starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's reciting these words, instantly all of the Pharisees and those that grew up in, in the Jewish schools, which had most of the Old Testament and Torah memorized, they would have heard these words and began reciting it themselves in their minds. And the following verses prophesy of the upcoming Messiah and all of the things that he would do. Psalm 22, verse 24, it says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So in this moment, Jesus is a prophetic act of saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then I would encourage you all to go read Psalm 22, and it prophesies of the coming of the Messiah. And I can only imagine that there are those who are they're, they're reciting these words in their minds as, God, as Jesus is hanging on a cross. And they're saying, I think we messed up. Because he begins to tick off all of the boxes of everything that happened in Jesus' life that Isaiah had prophesied about. And then we get to the end of it, and he says that he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. God has not hidden his face from you, and he hears your cry for help this morning. And there may be sin in your life, and, and maybe that's causing you to actually turn away from God because you feel like you're not worthy of being in his presence. But again, the word that I heard this morning is saying, let's look at me, gaze at me. Don't count yourself out. Don't, count, don't identify yourself with your mistakes. So are you willing to look at God this morning? Are you willing to say, God, God, I have some concepts about you, and we all do in this room, conscious and subconscious. God, I, 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 open, I hold these concepts with an open hand to you, and I say, come and show me what you're, right, what you're truly like. Because you are a personal God. And your face is shining on me. So I'm going to pray and then we'll... If Jared, are you okay to come on keys? Is he back there? Okay, never mind, that's fine. We don't need it for the anointing anyway. God, um, I just pray that this morning we would just experience you. Anything that tells me that I'm not worthy of being with you, anything that tells me that I'm not living and moving and having my being in you, would it be removed?
spoken to. If there are words that I spoke of this morning that need to fall to the wayside, let them fall. If things need to stick, would they stick? Would people not let my words get in the way of what you have for them? that we may have created that are idolatrous, would they just crumble right now in Jesus' name? And would we be filled with awe and wonder and fall to our knees? Because that is the only place that we feel like we can be. On our knees looking into the face of the one who created us. Where a billion mistakes disappear in a moment rocks cry out in silence, where the trees bend in to hear your voice, creation cries out the beauty of a God who created us. Would we experience that this morning? church.